1: Greetings and good day and welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with a good heart. This is a voice from Earth. It's good for all of us to be here. You are listening to First Voices Radio, Antiochus and Ghost Horse, sending you greetings and strength from the highlands of the Esopus, or what Americans and Dutch call the Tascale Mountains. Regardless, it is the highlands of the Esopus. In the lands of the Munsee-speaking Lenape. This is an all-Native hosted, all-Native produced First Voices Radio, and Liz Hill is the producer of First Voices Radio. How do these words affect your mind? Hospicing modernity. We'll find out in the next 45 minutes or so what that means to Indigenous peoples and perspective that you may not have heard in your lifetime, or maybe you think you have and that you know the perspective of a native indigenous to this land and to the Western Hemisphere, hospicing modernity, driven by expansion, colonialism, and resource extraction, and propelled by neoliberalism and rabid consumption, our world is profoundly out of balance. We take more than we give. We inoculate ourselves in positive regard while continuing to make harmful choices. We wreak irreparable havoc on the ecosystems, habitats, and beings with whom we share the planet with. But instead of drowning in hopelessness, how can we learn to face our reality with humility and accountability? Vanessa Machado de Oliveira Andrade is a professor at the University of British Columbia. She holds a Canadian research chair in Race, Inequalities, and Global Change. She began her career as a teacher in Brazil And she was generous enough to give us an interview here on First Voices Radio, where she breaks down archetypes of cognitive dissonance the do gooder who does good enough, then retreats to business as usual, the incognito capitalist who, at first glance, may seem like a radical change maker, and asks us to dig deeper and exist differently. She explains how our habits, behaviors, and belief systems hold us back, and why it's time to now gradually disinvest. And we can reimagine how we learn, unlearn, and respond to crisis. And I talked recently with Vanessa Machado de Oliveria andreadi right here on First Voices Radio. Well, Vanessa, thank you so much for joining us here on First Voices Radio. Such an honor to have you here and really humbled by a lot of things. And one of them, when I read Hospicing Modernity... But first, let me introduce you and thank you for being here. It's such an honor.
2: The honor is mine, Chakrasin. I'm very happy to be here.
1: Thank you. So when you talk about defacing humanity's wrongs, and I know we did a panel a few weeks ago together, and basically I said it's like a eulogy for modernity, and uh, it's not gloom and doom as I rephrased it, and I'm thinking, how do I interview Vanessa when (laughs) Is that I am trying to express feeling from my language, indigenous language, mm-hmm. into something that it seems so hard to understand. It doesn't really relate to earth, but yet it's looking for connection. I want to ask that question first and foremost.
2: Mm-hmm. I would like to sit with that question for a week before <laughs> answering <laughs> that <laughs> to do justice to it. Um what I, I think I will start by saying that the book came um, from from uh, uh, the interface between, like where I was born. So I was uh, I come from a mixed heritage family of both uh, indigenous and German um, ancestry, and one of the things that I think is interesting about that is that my dad. Uh, who is from the German ancestry side? He, uh, he decided to marry an indigenous person because his brothers were involved in agrarian expansion in Brazil and were bringing in stories about indigenous genocide that was necessary for that expansion to happen. So it was, uh, sanctioned violence, um, state sanctioned violence and my dad wanted to do something about it he wanted to make a stand and the stand that he made was to marry an indigenous person but he all, although that um the making a stand is a progressive thing uh he also believed in the superiority of the german culture so it was um it it was a paradox of being both progressive and racist at the same time. So I was born out of this paradox. My mom also agreed with him, whereas my grandmother was the one who refused, um, to agree with the enfranchisement, uh, she she said that this was like a ticket to the Titanic. Like <laughs> that, the house that the white men built was going to collapse at some point. So she she kept saying that, and resisting. But one of the things that then. Um, came for me as I was born from this colonial encounter into this paradox was to look at how indigenous peoples in Brazil we're analyzing the situation of the house uh, that the white men built collapsing, right? So part of the work uh, that, that informs the book is coming from the Hunikwi people, who are one of the people who, uh, and the, uh, the indigenous people of the Amazon forest that see themselves as the guardians of the forest. And their understanding of colonialism is not just about the occupation of lands or the uh, subjugation of peoples, they believe that colonialism is about the separation between us and the land, us and the cosmos, us and each other, us and the other species. So what they say is that this is not a moral problem. It is a neurophysical, neurobiological problem. That sense of separation, uh, it, it imposes an impairment in our capacity to deal with reality. And the reality is a reality where we are part of a a, a much wider metabolism that we, we are the land. Our bodies are land. And if we don't feel it, it leads to irresponsibility. And that irresponsibility is the hallmark of the system that we have today. It's irresponsibility and negligence. So the the modernity uh, that we talk about in the book uh, is a way to put everything together: uh, this this separation, uh, global capitalism, um, nations, modern nation states, and the um, cognitive imperialism that has been promoted by we we call it the house of modernity. So the house has. Uh, a foundation that is the separation, two carrying walls. One carrying wall is the modern nation state that protects capital, and it only protects people when there is interest convergence between the protection of people and the protection of capital. The other carrying wall is the carrying wall of uh, the single story of uh, progress, development, and civilization that has been imposed that kills the other stories uh of 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 the future of forward it kills our uh, responsibility to uh, to the incoming generations of both human and non-human beings and then the roof of the house is the roof of shareholder um financial algorithmic capitalism the current one and that that roof is um is leaking, it's, it's damaged, it's structurally damaged, and then it's creating a problem within the house, and it's creating a lot of mold, a lot of cracks, and the house is falling apart with all the crisis that we see. But also because the house has exceeded its, li- the limits of the planet. So modernity now, uh, so before modernity had all these promises of prosperity, of progress through technology, of l- us conquering and dominating nature, but nature is speaking back, <laughs> and saying, "You are nature too, and uh, this is not gonna, this is not gonna pass, right?" And and so the house is shaking, and we need to figure out a way to to relate to that uh, and and to sober up to. Um, grow up to um develop discernment and responsibility. Those inside the house need to do these things in order to be able to see what what they need to do next. So the, the, the book offers this word, hospicing which is about giving palliative care to something that is dying without investing in its future. We already know that the future is not going to be there. And we do that at the same time that we offer prenatal care to what is gestating, what the earth is gestating. And we do that with care, not to suffocate the baby with our own projections and idealizations of what we want to see, but we allow the, the baby to show us who the baby is, right? So it's very, very common in Western culture for parents to overbear the child with uh, their own uh, desires but in indigenous cultures we we have the principle of non-interference it's it's between the baby and 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 the creator what the gifts and the medicines this baby is going to give to the world are not for us to decide
1: thank you for that vanessa it would seem that reading the book there was a certain story of medicine that you were telling in a metaphorical way, but also there came out this a wisdom we need to choose correctly this time. Mm-hmm. And one of them I think you alluded to was no agenda, that the earth has everything in hand, so to speak. And if we only would relate our languages, our cultures, even our technologies, to the sense of common well-being that she is promoting inst- all the time, instantly and forever, she's been doing this on a continuum. And I really want to know, where would we be going if we are always looking, how would I say this now, we are talking like we're speaking from the grave. Mm-hmm. And part of that is we, we are looking at anti-humanists, think- thinkers and transhumanists and its entirety is dualistic because it's coming from a certain way of thinking. But there's never that if factor, the mystery, that wakan, we call it. Mm -hmm. And we base that so-called all humans are this way. But Mm -hmm. in my lifetime, in my experience, all humans are not one way. Part of this end stage, in collapse, is an event that people are trying to avoid. So we have this avoidance language, as you see, Mm kind of like knowing that there's not going to be any more drugs, so you're going to hoard what you can what would the symptoms come to be so that we can identify in place our personal story with all the dwelling resources that that are out there even information
2: mm-hmm. in in brazil we have this this saying that um, in the situation of a flood when the the waters are rising it's only when the the waters that are are at our hip that we can actually swim before that we can only walk and wade, so people are um, are facing these different symptoms of the waters rising for them and relating very uh, sometimes because they are unequipped to relate it to it in a different way, they are relating to it with fear, um, which is a natural. Uh, response but it's also a response that comes from modernity itself so modernity was also created to to defeat death and to keep us uh in the in the peak of youth for uh the longest right so it's it's a culture that really elevates youth and uh and doesn't see the the gifts of eldership Uh, when we were doing a a project with kasha hanekew Asking elders inside, in sec- on sacred sites what the role of education was, we never heard that the role of education was to uh, to support uh, young people to make money. We heard that the role of education was to prepare good elders and ancestors for all relations, <laughs> which is something that is often unimaginable within modern education. So there's no call for eldership, for the responsibility of eldership. So the other thing that we observed working with the Hunikui people in the Amazon was that when Western people came, uh, non-Indigenous people came for the medicines they have in the Amazon and they have a whole... Kind of global pharmacy there that could be helping us with all kinds of, of, of illnesses that do not have a cure in Western medicine, but they do have some medicines that are, that, that uh, non-Indigenous people can, can have access to. So when this non-Indigenous people come to, to have the encounter with the sacred plants, they often come wanting this oceanic feeling that they had in the womb. Right. So they go back there maybe for self-actualization, but also to find that piece of the baby. Whereas when we look at the education that is given to the community for about these plants and for engagement with this plants, it's completely the opposite thing. It's about eldership. It's about preparing you to embrace more responsibility as you move to the, through the stages of life and to become a good elder, to face death in a very different way, because you know that there's no uh, death is not an ending. It's just a transition. And it's very difficult to uh to reorient <laughs> people who have never had those teachings towards eldership. They really want to go back to being protected with less responsibility, but eldership is about more responsibility. So changing our relationship with death and with pain as well. In Western society, being well me- means being without any pain. Whereas In indigenous culture, especially in ceremony, we learn that we need the discipline to encounter pain in a very different way, to hold the hand of pain, to be taught uh, by pain in a different way, and not to be haunted by pain, because the fear of pain is worse than the pain many times. So how do we uh, create the internal structure, the muscles that we need to be able to face life and death in this other way, in a way that uh, is about embracing responsibility rather than running away from it. In a way that is about this, uh, it is a form of care that is not self infantilizing and that doesn't infantilize other people where we know that educationally, our main commitment is to prepare this person to accept life in all its beauty, in death, in all its beauty, as it encounters uh, these different um, challenges and teachings as they, they go through their life. And this is not what our formal education is. Um, does to people like we we generally uh, with modern education we instead of opening up the imagination we are limiting the imagination to the continuity of the current system and I think that's why people are so afraid because they they can't imagine something different a different form of well being for example that is not through consumption or a different form of well being that is not through transactional relations. And figuring out uh, this other way, this different neurochemical, neurophysical setup for your body, not just for your mind. Actually, in, Bra- in Brazil, they say it's the gut that feels it. Then the heart is filled with the motivation and the head follows. It's not through the head because the head already separates the head from the body. So we need to figure out how to rewire <laughs> everything again.
1: Oh, this is so good. Uh, that The distinction between rights and responsibilities. And as you know, Ecuador a few years ago gave rights to nature, mm-hmm. and so did New Zealand. But now that's so trendy to give rights to nature, but still, that's still in the sense of domination.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: a lot of indigenous peoples, as you know, do not have the concept or the word for domination. And mm-hmm. so how could humans give rights to nature when it's really the other way around? Yeah, living up those responsibilities. So when when I'm thinking about how is it meted out, so to speak, I'm going to go with religion and science and those dominations of it because they, and as you described, the process of education in the West is, it takes 12 years basically in the West, in Western education, to come to know how to be reflexive to authority because that's the program of Mm -hmm. it. And and then we have we have to get past the barriers of speaking another codified language of academia. Part of that is, and I come with these philosophies, I call them, is that we can't educate the wisdom out of ourselves, because that's at the core of why education is there. So when I think about religion and science, the dualism we are, we are always confronted with every day when it's much more than just this or that.
2: Absolutely, and I think by, back to modernity again. Uh, in order to be able to defeat death, it had to have some certainties. It had to uh, index the world in language, in order to be able to control it and have knowledge that is only cumulative in a certain way, and authoritative and all of that. So they they, they created the square and went very deep into that square. Uh, the problem is that the square is not working anymore to keep us alive uh, in the future, right? So it, the the whole um, thing is falling apart because of the limits of the planet. Because we have been within that square, we have neglected and been irresponsible in terms of our entanglement with everything, being part of everything. We thought that we could remove ourselves and not... Um, not have to, to, to think of and, and just dominate and conquer. Now, both religion and science, uh, if they are about certainty, they go in that direction. But there's also religion and science that open up a little bit to the mystery and to to the unknown and the unknowable of everything. So working in academia, I I had to make a decision to stay in academia uh, out of an indigenous teaching as well. And the indigenous teaching was that, and this came from the Tremembe in the the northeast of Brazil, that uh, of all the... um, Of all the species that exist, of all the beings, the human beings are the youngest. And of all the cultures, the Western culture is the youngest. And that really helped me then looking at at, at that as with more compassion, actually. Um, And then that the Western culture needed to find its own maturity. And in many ways, the wisdom is also there in a, in its, its hidden and buried and people want still so only the superficial things but if you go into really if you if you have the discipline to stay with the kind of science that is about the unknown, that respects the mystery of the universe, you will see that there are gifts there. If you, if you stay with a part of religion that also respects that mystery and that opens up to uh, being taught by the land, and, and it's possible, you will see that there's a gift in there. So I'm holding on to these fractures within Western. Uh, science and within Western Academia it's it's kind of uh it, it is um it's a, a, a crack right there's a crack there to help them see that even by themselves they can come to maturity uh, without uh, losing track of the harm that they are doing to and the damage. And I don't know if we actually have the time for them to grow up because the damage is actually escalating, right? And then that damage is affecting everybody else. So what I heard from Indigenous communities is that there is a sense in which we need to parent this toddler, (laughs) with a machine gun in their hand and allow this this culture to come to its maturity rather than replace it with other things. But it's like the uncles, aunties, and grandparents need to be around in order to be able to uh, orient and guide the pathway away from the harm that it is doing and more harm that it can do.
1: This is First Voices Radio. This is Teocasin Ghost Horse, and I am speaking with Vanessa Machado de Oliveira, Anjati. And we want to welcome you back in a minute or so after these. i
3: waves, child. Guilt through all my days, job. How this place was settled, the murder and the shame. Secrets being exposed, child Truth we must uphold, child, Constant fight for justice to pave the way for change. Living in denial, going through the same old cycle. Penal colony survival, depending on your ball and chain. System going to customize it. the man ain't going to redefine you Gotta hunt like a nighttime spider, depending on your ball and chain Got me feeling some type of way. That ball and chain got me feeling like I'm a slave. It's like I'm swimming out for the name, cause got me drowned, but still I survive. But to keep alive, I gotta.
1: Welcome back to First Voices Radio. I'm Teokas and Ghost Horse. We're talking about a book that is not easy. Hospicing Modernity. It contains no quick fix plan for a better brighter tomorrow and gives no ready-made answers. Instead, Vanessa presents us with a challenge to grow up, step up and show up for ourselves, our communities and the living earth and to interrupt the modern behavior patterns that are killing the planet we're part of. And now part two of auspicing modernity, and Vanessa Machado de Oliveira. I'm thinking in the context of we're arching over certain ideas and things that we have to dig up. And as you say, the youngest the youngest uh, nation here is the Westerners, those who came on the ships. But as a view from the shore, as it is where I stand, is, yes, they are younger brothers and sisters, but they still come with the plan, so to speak, right? In
2: the arrogance. And-
1: Yes, that's it, exactly So when I think about this um, Are you familiar with Ailton (laughs) Kranak? Ailton Kranak, yes Yeah, and I really like what he said about We are in a certain colonial coma Mm -hmm. And the colonial coma that we have as indigenous peoples Is to mimic the colonists And because of loss of our cultures It seems easier now for the youth to do this So it's in a sense that a few years ago they were taking down the statues of columbus and then replacing them with indigenous statues which is a sure sign that we are doing it in a colonial manner like they they have come to conquer but i'm also interested in what would happen if in this case the friend's daughter she asked her mother who was always talking a great nature environmental story so the 4-year-old came up and asked her if Mother Earth is our mother, who is Mother Earth's mother? Mother. <laughs> yeah. And so when I heard that, you know what I did, did Vanessa, is I called my mother, and mm-hmm. my mother said one word. She said, Nasula, we are seeds from the heart. In other words, we, we only come from the heart. We are seeds of the heart. And when you talk siege of truth, that's what we're saying and feeding to the, to the younger peoples who came on the ships. That took a long time. Sorry about that. Do you have any no, no, thoughts beautiful. about that? Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's beautiful. It's super beautiful. Yeah. I, I, um, we work with um, Bill Callum, who is an Ifa priest uh, of this indigenous. Um, uh, it's an indigenous faith system in, in Nigeria that also speaks to uh, other beings, um and doesn't make the distinction between us and nature and uh, they talk about the mother as a womb so everything is a womb and yeah. the, everything that comes from the womb is is a seed for for um to be to interact with, with other beings and come to its own fruition. I think that the story of the, 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 child asking that question shows that we are already past the, uh, the period where modernity would, would be the most appealing thing for young people. Young people can see that their future is at stake, even if they come from mixed families or from indigenous families that have to encounter, uh, this disease that is modernity, that is, that is being created by, um, Western culture being stuck in a state of self infantilization and they, c- Actually, because of, of their their position in the world, they they have more discernment <laughs> than we do to see what wisdoms that are being offered are actually um, going to, are actually life affirming, and they won't go for uh, like, And my hope is that they won't go for the false well being. They will look for the, the true well-being or to other options of well-being that are not, not just based in what you can consume. Many of our indigenous youth are numbing because the pain is very uh, real and very deep to see everything uh, that, uh, that, that, is, that is alive dying because of uh, Western culture stuckness. Right. And then having their bodies also uh, submitted to processes of subjugation, oppression and humiliation so that the, the system itself is is extremely cruel uh, towards indigenous youth. And at the same time, that experience for many is what is creating the discernment to say, I, I can see why this is happening and I will choose the maturity of indigenous cultures as the basis of how i want to proceed with my life because there's nothing it's empty with the other offer right they see that so when we we look at what we we talked about uh, before the waters rising so for some people waters rising means uh, not having access to jobs or to housing or to food or to water, and these are very real signs of social and ecological collapse. But for many people, especially in the Western culture, and in in, in different ways, in indigenous culture that this waters rising is a way it's, it's it's rising in the heart so we see across the board now it's not just in indigenous communities the rise in uh, anxiety depression and self-harm and that is also the waters rising inside and and your body saying this is not this cannot continue this is not good I, it, it's killing me from the inside. So I don't need to lose everything outside. If I'm inside, I'm also, um, I'm also feeling the collapse, right? And I think that then that's where we see how the ceremonies, that the ceremonies can uh, offer you the structure for the waters not to rise within you. For you to have the structure to face what you need to face all the storms to 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 weather the storms either individually or with your community. I think that is something that Western culture has lost too. And if if we have, um, seeds to offer, they will come from the ceremonies, but not necessarily, I'm not advocating Western people going to indigenous ceremonies either. I think that is a mistake. But at the same time, if we don't have the ceremonies ourselves, what we offer in terms of redirection can also be problematic, right? So we need to figure out what seeds we are going to offer that will take them to their ceremonies, to new ceremonies, where they will find another way to be well and to be healthy so that they stop the harm that they are creating. They wake up to their responsibility and to all the things that have happened and figure out a different way to coexist in the planet if we have the time.
1: Such a great message, Vanessa. Um, and I'm really thinking along the lines of respect, you know, respecting earth, respecting indigenous respect for all life. And when I think about how a certain culture or civilization kind of put native people up on pedestals, um, and or the opposite, but the real work is looking at us as we are a fellow human being, a Mm -hmm. human being just the same with the same flaws, except that we, in a sense, have relationship more with Earth rather than a connection, you see. And I think that the semantics are, are really understandable, and I'm glad you mentioned ceremony. Cosmologically mm-hmm. speaking, a lot of Native people who, for hundreds of thousands of years, were observing the stars without telescopes and understanding the movements, because what was happening there is still here. So when I go into the languages, which is deep, Deep and someday you'll find if you not have if you haven't already, Vanessa, is that the quantum physics, so to speak, is within within our languages. And we talked about the future, we talked about the past, but when it comes down to being here at this moment, there there is a language that doesn't have to say to be something else or to be anything else but who we are. And I think that's the sense of responsibility that you're talking about. Because this message uh, is, is beyond the book. The book is opening up the door beyond the book of hospicing modernity or any book. But it's really sitting down and communicating with each other around the fire with the water and holding those intelligences with great grace as they hold us and caring for us every, every minute, every second. So when, when I read the book, it reminded me that there's this depth within everything. And how far we are away from understanding that depth, not just with mere trendy words, like if I say, "Let's acknowledge the people here," it's much deeper than that. It would put me on a in aI'm a token because you acknowledge that I was still here. That's great, but that doesn't bring up what's going on in the past, in the future to be here right now. So the word that i'm I'm trying to say is a kantu in our language really means the earth being from the ancient future now, that we've always had these these languages, that when we presented the land, such as the Mi'kmaq in, in northeastern Nova Scotia, and then those places, they said that you, when when the Vikings and other people appeared, they said, you're you're welcome here, but you're not you're not welcome to own the land.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And when we talk about modernity, that was the beginning of Modernity that was hospicing modernity. We were watching something from another place come here to die. And maybe that's what it is because we we include we include them. We can't do anything else, but our language is one of inclusion and relationship. So that's kind of like you know, going all over the place, but that's where I come from, is all over the place, right? Um (laughs) learning (laughs) yeah, learning to think non-dualistic, I think it's it's really a big feeling of energy everywhere. So part of this is really understanding how you walk your life. How does Vanessa walk her life, you say, of mixed heritage, but yet inclusive in a sense, and not blaming one or the other, just like, hey, we're all in this, in this but there is another way to to describe it, to feel it, to look at it, and maybe it's the 200,000-year-old reference of Native peoples rather than the 5,000-year-old modern thinking. What are your thoughts?
2: I, I, think I'll start with what you said in the beginning, like talking about, uh, Indigenous people as subhuman is a violence, but talking about Indigenous people as superhuman is also a violence because it, it, it puts a burden on Indigenous people to live up to other people's expectations, right? So it, it also puts you in a square. Um, but I do remember also what uh, Chief Ninala Hunikui from the Hunikui people say about technology. He says that um, Western people have developed very advanced technologies that of domination, of extraction, of exploitation, and of building things. And some of these things are useful, like uh, what he's thinking about for the Amazon, for example, is... um electric boats rather than diesel boats so he's saying that we're not rejecting everything we're rejecting the foundations of it which sees land, land as property rather than as, a, as an entity which sees the forest as money rather than beings uh, that really that that are everything for 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 indigenous people there they say we are not um We're not, we are the forest speaking for itself. We're part. We're, we're, we're one with the trees, right? That's why they are putting their lives on the line to defend them. So he says that indigenous people have advanced technologies of four things of reverence, respect, reciprocity, and responsibility. And this is different from the advanced technologies of Western, of Western culture. And, in, within modernity and because we are all affected by it because of it it's it's so pervasive the disease uh, that that it creates and the impairments that it creates. it's very difficult today for people who have been socialized in that not to want only the shallows. Right. So they want shallow relationships, shallow experiences that are very easily consumable, that are very convenient, that do not require discipline, that do not require anything from it, that are about mastery of things rather than depth. So the depth that I, I hear you talking about for me hits my guts. And when we talk about responsibility uh, in our project, we talk about visceral responsibility. Otherwise, in the shallows, responsibility is only an intellectual choice or a matter of convenience. But the visceral responsibility is the kind of responsibility that you put your life on the line to do what is right, to protect what is important. That's the kind of responsibility that you see the guardians of the forest enacting when they actually Put their lives on the line to protect a forest that is important to all of us. That's what we see with water protectors and land protectors here, as well in uh, in North America, right in, in Turtle Island. That what 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 is happening is that they cannot not do it like the responsibility they feel is something that is not dependent on their self interest it's coming from a very different space but that space you need to open up because we are so um so uh, addicted to the pleasures and the promises of the shallows that depth sometimes is even unimaginable, how do you feel that is something that requires a different relationship with the land already. Right. And that, that requires you to surrender the arrogance and the individualism that you carry with you and put it back on the land so that the land can speak through you and the land can dream through you. And in order to do that, you have both to be, to have the structure and, and the strength for that to happen. But you need to de-center your ego because if your ego is speaking, the land can, doesn't have a chance. Your ego has a megaphone, right?
1: It's great to have you here. You said something about the protectors, protection, and akichita <clears throat> was. It doesn't mean warrior or go to war. It means to protect what is, because that's the bigger message. And when you talked about the the natives in the jungle and the Amazon, they are not getting paid to mm-hmm. yet. Environmentalists get paid because they go and study the the earth. Well, and the other way is that what I think is when I go home, the earth is studying me. The earth acknowledges me and that I feel cared for by the earth. And this is why my responsibility in that sense is clean air, clean water, clean food. And from that come clean thoughts, clean beings and generations of that. Um, But it's not sort of much. Uh, less a, a, an accomplishment to look at and show, look, I did this and I did that, sort of turning in the life of the world into a meritocracy. It's like, no, this is a continuance of who we are is to bring that legacy of those ancestors into the future as well. And, and I think that you're doing that very well with this book, and I want to just understand it in a good way that the, the ceremonies that you have undergone and have helped you in your confluence of interpretation, I was, but that respect for these ceremonies—they're always moving. It's not like a ritual in one place. We could say the the procedure may be, but still, it is. Well, yeah, the ceremony possession—it's different when we hold something in Arizona, like a Sundance, or it's different in Dakotas or Canada or Brazil, or wherever it's held, because it's according to that land where the ceremony is in motion. So a ceremony is about keeping in motion. And the old adage that life is a ceremony is so true to be careful of what we say, how we think, and how we're relating to. So in a sense, I'll, I'll, I'll end it in this way, that Wachekia really means not prayer. It means acknowledging relationship
2: absolutely i think what uh grounded my experiences in the ceremonies was learning to relate and to build relationships based on trust consent respect and accountability and this is not something we learn in in the mo- in the modern education system in the formal education system so my education and, and I'm just beginning that education there uh, was about understanding that for even for the book, uh, a ceremony needed to be done to uh, to ask for permission for the book to come through. And every day as I was writing the stories, I was trying to ask what stories will need to come to move what you need to move, not what I need to move. It's what the The holding, uh, of everything needs to move. And when, once the book was finished, there was also a ceremony to release it to the world and not to be, to, to make it mine. Um, or as you said before, uh, that it becomes an accumulation of achievements that then becomes part of a meritocracy. The book, I, I I wrote the book also with my, I was instructed to use my, uh, the name before my marriage, my original, first name uh also to create a distance from the book and, and my, my other uh, my tra- my other trajectory especially the academic trajectory so that I could offer the book in a good way uh and the book then becomes its own entity the stories are dancing in there and they will do their work and I need to respect that and 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 have reverence for that too but not Because as I I said before, I I think I say that in the book, some of the stories that came, I resisted. I said, I don't want the story to be out there, but I needed to negotiate uh, internally, spiritually, too, if the story needed to go. Uh, It's not up to my ego to decide what what's going to happen here right so it's a, a very interesting training of decentering ourselves so that other things can can work through and uh and and having the ceremonies not only the ceremonies that i participate too like there are ceremonies happening in the south in brazil that have all this work up uh, protected as well. Right. So respecting that indigenous people are doing their work uh, and the work that they they probably are the only ones who can do it to support the Western culture to uh, figure out what they need to figure out, to wake up, to step up, to grow up and to show up differently. For the planet and for the others and and join this big circle that you talked about of people who uh, need to be protectors of not only everything that we are part of, but the future uh, of the incoming generations.
1: Thank you for these these good energy thoughts. And I want to cheat and say one more question, Vanessa. One more (laughs) question is that the younger brothers and sisters come and they usually have a plan and that plan is more or less to uh, adapt the earth to their needs. Now they need to let go of that, so to speak, and and really look at how we need to adapt ourselves to the earth. I think that yeah. that's an over the difference between Western and you know who who is a real Westerner, but those of us in a Western hemisphere before the West arrived, so to speak
2: yeah the shedding right the 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 invitation for them to surrender the arrogance the plans the agenda and to be naked (laughs) to the earth and and reestablish that relationship is is one of the things it's it's a challenge but it's necessary before they can uh embrace the journey Uh, but Mm. they're getting there maybe it's it it is the storms it's uh, themselves they're going to force them to to take their to 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 become to have their spirit naked to go back to that relationship
1: uh, so good to to have you here on first voices radio vanessa and how do i convey the humbleness of an of a someone who is experienced with indigeneity and that the indigeneity comes through as it comes through us eating every day the plants, to plant nation. That indigeneity is what I'm talking about. So if, again, I'd like to say which means something like I'll see you again eventually, but surely, right? And uh, I want to say thank you all for listening out there. Vanessa, any final words after, after we've listened to you carefully? We've listened to you carefully.
2: I just wanted to say it was the greatest honor to be invited here. I've been doing a lot of podcasts about the book, but this is the greatest honor that I had to be invited by you to be here and uh, with reverence to all the knowledge, all the experiences you've had. I it just filled my heart with with happiness to be able to be in conversation with you today. Thank you.
1: So awesome. Have a, have a great day. Okay. Thank have a good you. rest of the day. Make it your day. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Wow. That was amazing. At least for me as an individual, as a person of the Lakota people, of the Lakota nation, of the indigenous nations of Turtle Island, in Turtle Island, within Turtle Island, those of you who came here later may or may not understand that, but somewhere it should spark the indigeneity in you to respect those indigenous peoples who have been here and are here and will be here long after this modernity has taken its place with grace and moved on its way, maybe to another planet, maybe just have to bury it and start to the mental capability that it is incapable of really understanding earth as well, at least in this place, at least in this part of the world, the Western Hemisphere, as long as we have as indigenous folks. But we will not lose it. We always remember it because it's the land who remembers us. You think about that, and, and maybe there's something else that will open up within you to understand what we are saying here as indigenous peoples. Thank you for listening. This is First Voices Radio. See you next time.
0: in a thousand miles